Good morning, everybody. How are you? What a great atmosphere in the house, hey? Last night was awesome, hey? And you know why last night can be so powerful in all our lives is you didn't get a message. You got what's in the man. And, uh, you know, we don't just transfer information. We transfer who we are. Uh, We transfer the anointing that God puts on our lives. We don't choose it. He puts it on our lives and we, we impart rather than just inform. And so if we take those truths from last night, they can change you forever. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, it never ceases to amaze me how awesome God is. You know, about 3.45 this morning, I woke up and uh, God began to drop things in my heart to share before I share a message. Uh, in fact, I don't want to just preach. I want to reach today. And it's not just about a message. It's about God speaking to you individually. And he began to drop things in my heart and one of the things I'm going to say in a moment, Pastor Mario spoke in the prayer we prayed upstairs. We get down here and one of the songs we're singing is covering what I'm going to say at the beginning. And you think, God doesn't have a speech impediment when he repeats himself. He's trying to get a message across. It's good for me to have Sharon with me because I travel on my own mostly and she's here and, and it's great. And, uh, you know, I've often said to people... She's been married to me for 44 years. She hasn't spoken to me for the last three because she didn't want to interrupt me. But, um, you know, she's puts up with a lot. But I did say next year's our 45th, so I'm going to take her to Italy for our 45th, you know. And for our 50th, I'm going to go and get her back. So um, she can take that one. She knows I'm only joking. She'd probably enjoy a trip in Italy by herself without me. She'd have a great time. She really would. So, um, so as I arrived this morning, someone said, I, I, I left early because I didn't want to get stuck in traffic. I was the only car on the road. I got here so early. And someone said to me, how did you sleep last night? I said, like a baby. I woke up every two hours. And so um, see how we go this morning as I share with you what I believe God's dropped into my heart. What I want to do is three things today overall. I want to share prophetically. I believe not pathetically, but prophetically over many people here today, what God dropped in my heart during the night, which has been confirmed. And, and then I want to just quickly touch on my journey of cancer, but just very briefly, because I've shared it with many of you. I've shared it here at the church, but I've got a couple of testimonies to encourage your faith that in every season, the purpose of God on your life can be fulfilled, no matter what you're going through. And then I want to share for a few moments uh, as a message on living called. If every Christian lived called, we'd have a different church. We would have a different world. We'd have a different community. Sometimes we think the called are the people that stand on a platform. But I discovered when I had cancer that I never had a pulpit, but I did have a platform. And it wasn't a pulpit. It was a platform in the community to share because we are the church. We don't just go to church. And a lot of people think the professionals do the church stuff. We just go and receive. And the church is there to bless us. And we get that so wrong and we could take all day talking about that. But we are the church and we're here to equip the church and we're here to empower the church. And so uh, a few years ago, I said to God one Sunday morning, which I should have said every Sunday morning, I said, God, what do you want from church today? You know, I might be prepared, but what do you want from church? And he said this to me, anything that's smarter than I can think of that comes into my head is probably God. And so I said, number one, that God be glorified that his truth be clarified and that our walk with him will be intensified. This conference is called Empower. And to be empowered, he must be glorified. Truth must be clarified 
and our walk must be intensified. And so this morning when I woke up, I woke up with a passage of scripture I've preached dozens of sermons from out of Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. And we're singing about breath this morning and, and I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us. And it was the first three or four words. It says in Ezekiel 37, and the Lord took hold of me. Oh, what would happen if only the Lord took hold of us? And the Lord took hold of me. Not my disappointment, not my discouragement, not my dysfunction, not my disillusionment with the Christian world, or not my competing with other people, comparisons, the cares and concerns to keep the church together. If one more family leaves, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? But he says, no, and the Lord took hold of me. At the birth of my ministry in 1983-84, and I'm not going to share this today, but God gave me eight keys out of the life of Ezekiel to build my life on. And it says right at the beginning of Ezekiel chapter 1, he said, Ezekiel, stand up, son of man. Now we get to Ezekiel 37 and a whole army stands up. A whole army stood up. And you think, you can't get an army to stand up if the leader doesn't stand up first. Start a fire in the pulpit and watch people come to see it burn. And so I believe I want to speak to leaders and to all of us in many ways, we are all leaders. When God gets hold of us, He shifts us. And the Lord took hold of me and he shifted me. He took me to a valley of dry bones. You notice he didn't take him to a revival. He didn't take him to a massive conference. He took him to hidden potential. He took him to a valley of dry bones. What is in dry bones? No identity. You don't go to a valley of dry bones and go, I remember him. He looks just like his father. He's not as tall as I thought he'd be. They're just dead old bones. And God wants to take a church that understands that when we proclaim like we heard last night and we speak into hidden potential, an army can rise up and something powerful can happen. And God wants to speak into the hidden potential of many of you here today. But also, I so was gripped in the middle of the night that there are people here today and probably tonight and for the rest of the time that you desperately need refreshing. You've lost your joy. God wants to restore your joy. He wants to refresh. He wants to restore. He wants to rebuild. He wants to redirect or reposition. He took hold of me and shifted me. Whenever God gets hold of us, are we open to the shift? We want revival, but we want it done the way we always want it done. But there's a repositioning. Remember in Joshua, I think it is, it just, just comes to mind where God says to Joshua in chapter 3, get out from your position. For tomorrow I'm going to take you where you've never been before. God gave me that scripture when we started our church in 1994. He said, if you want to do things that have never been done before, you can't stay in your position. You've got to be repositioned so I can take you where you've never been before. And that's where he stood at the edge of the Jordan. That's where we got the name for our church, the edge of the Jordan, crossing over to the promises of God we'd never seen before. God is faithful, my friends, because he's been faithful to that. Some of you need repositioning today. Some of you, as I was in the middle of the night thinking about you, God said some of them need redirecting. 
There's a confusion about your future direction and God wants to redirect you, but he also wants to reestablish vision for those of you that your visions become cloudy. In the, sec- in the leadership session, I'm going to talk about, you know, um, vision and some of those things that leave our lives at times. But God is the God of pattern. My life message is to build according to God's pattern. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a, a deep Bible teacher. And I'm also a strong feeler. So I just share what I feel. And if God hadn't given me patterns from the Word of God, I'd be all over the shop. And so God began to show me in the early years of my ministry the patterns for my life and the patterns for his church. And one of the very early patterns when I was in Bible school in 1983 that God gave me was the reveal, reverse, restore. And it happens in every leader. It happened in every leader in the Bible. And it will happen to you and me. God will reveal to you that he wants to use you. He will reveal to you a vision And then for a time and on several occasions, it seems like things go into reverse. The very thing you thought was going to happen, now nothing looks like that. And it's how you handle your reversals that determines how you're released. Reveal, reverse, release. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's one thing to have a call. It's another thing to be chosen. And to be chosen, you've got to handle the reversals. Moses had to handle the reversal in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul had to go into Tarsus for 14 years and handle his reversal. Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, reveal, is led into the wilderness to be tested, reversal. And then when he passes the tests, he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... Do you know we all need the right because? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because I want to prove to my dad that I can do it. Some people are trying to prove to their dead parents that I'm not what you said over my life. No, no. The right because is that the lame people need to be healed. The broken need to be healed. You know, people need to have sight. And so Jesus had the right because and he comes back in the power of the Spirit. Reveal, reverse, restore. And so... A few years ago, God began to open up the book of Ezekiel and we, I asked all my staff to speak out of Ezekiel. And one night I was sitting in church and one of our pastors was speaking. It was a Friday night and these words came into my head. At first I thought I'd had too much pizza for dinner and I was getting mixed up with the revelation and maybe just agitation, you know. But I, these three words came into my mind and it was bones, stones and thrones. I go, what on earth is that? And I realized as I began to think about it, because we were in that subject, that bones is like the valley of dry bones where God wants to, he wants to refresh us. He wants to breathe on us. And we go through stages where we feel like dry old bones. But then stones is the place where God reshapes us. And in 1 Kings chapter 10, you read about uh, the building of the temple and Solomon built that great temple. But in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, it says the stones used in the building of the temple were pre-cut in the quarry so there'd be no noise on the temple site. You see, if you per- turn up to this beautiful extension that's been done here at the front of the church and only one brick was out of place, you wouldn't notice the beautiful extension, you'd notice the brick that's out of place. 
But when everything is in its right place, you don't notice the brick. You notice the whole lot. And so many people want their ministries recognised. And so many people go, why am I not used here? And why am I not not used there? And you see, the reshaping is what God does to us in the private place when we're not in the public arena and he shapes us so we make a good fit on the temple site so that then there's no noise of a hammer, a sharp object. You see, the church, if the church didn't have, had more time to deal with not the criticism, not the reactions, not the hurts of people, not why did he get that position when I should have got position, why hasn't the church grown like it should, if we didn't have all those noises on the temple site, oh, what would the church be like when there's no noise on the temple site? And that only happens not only when God refreshes you, but when he reshapes you. And he reshapes you in the place of privacy. Jesus in the wilderness, Moses in the back end of the desert. You see, he doesn't do it in the pulpit. The reshaping happens off the pulpit. And God reshapes us to make us the people we are. So then he can release us to have dominion, which is thrones. We were called to be on the throne of dominion and rulership. But you can't, a lot of young people today, they want the rule and the, 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 the power and the miracles, but no reshaping and no refreshing. Now, isn't it amazing? I'd never seen this before. And I began to look at this and I thought, oh my goodness. You see, if God can't refresh, doesn't refresh me first, I'm not going to let him reshape me. It's just going to hurt too much. I've got to know that God loves me. I used to hear my dad preach when I was a kid on Psalm 139. If you go to the bottom of the ocean, God will find you. If you go, and in those days, we all believed the same thing, that God was out to judge us. Wherever we go, he's going to find us. And he, he'll find your sin. He'll tell everybody. I thought, oh my goodness, God hates me. I mean, I was only 15 or 16. I looked at every pretty girl in the church and then thought I was going to hell. <laughs> I thought, I'm never going to get to heaven. And then one day I read it for myself. And it says, if I go to the bottom of the ocean, your love will find me there. If I go to the top of the mountain, your love, you knew me before I was even born. Therefore, go for it. Reshape me. Oh, go for it. Search me, oh God. If there's anything in my mind, in my manner, in my methods... Shape me. But you can't let him reshape you if you don't let him refresh you. But when you let him refresh you, he will reshape you and then he will release you and you will be shaped to be all that God wants you to be and you'll be able to rule in dominion. And I believe God, this next few times together, these few hours together, wants to refresh so many. Some of you might need a bit of reshaping, but look, it's all good. Let him do it. Let, bring it on. David said, bring it on. Because it's only going to be a release into dominion. And so I just felt that this morning while I was just waking up, feeling I needed to speak that. Can we just bow our heads right now? And I'm not doing this to feel good for myself. I just want to make sure I have heard from God. How many of you today already feel that God has spoken to you through that? Wow, thank you so much. Well, Father, I pray today that, Lord, all over this weekend and tonight as we gather that you will refresh us, that, Lord, you will refresh, that, God, you will reshape us. Father, go for it. We trust you. We're not spiritual guinea pigs you like to experiment with. We are your kids. And, Father, come and reshape us and release us into all that you have for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I didn't believe this, if I didn't practice this, I wouldn't stand here today because I've not had one reversal. I've had many. I've had some in family. 
some in very close family with my own folks. And then there's, there's stuff that happens in church politics. And I've lived long enough to see the whole spectrum. But I'm standing here today not because I'm good, but because when I feel the shakings, I know he wants to reshape me. And as he reshapes me and I let him, he refreshes me first and then he releases me again. And through every trial and every crisis that we've been through, I can still stand today because this truth is not a preach. It's a pattern. And I live by that pattern of reveal, reverse, restore. I prophesy today that in the 70s, we had something called the charismatic movement. And during the charismatic movement, people that never knew how to speak in tongues and, 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 and be what we call today Pentecostal all started to get filled with the Spirit in the Uniting Church, the Baptist Church. One of the things we missed, though, is from the infilling of the Spirit, we all wanted to be released. But nobody wanted to be reshaped. Well, not nobody, but a lot. And what happens is we became arrogant. I'm better than you because I speak in tongues. I'm better than you because we came out of the tradition and now we got the Holy Spirit. Now, if we got the Holy Spirit, we should be more humble than we've ever been before. We should serve more than we've ever served before. And we shouldn't point the finger at others that don't have what we have, but be moved with compassion to reach out. And I want to tell you, there's still a reversal going on in the wider body of Christ right now. And if the church, I'm going to talk about it in the leadership session, for God is shaking all that can be shaken, not to hurt, but to heal. God heals. He doesn't shake to hurt. I know legalism. I was raised as a little boy in legalism, and that is law. I was raised also under the false teaching of a grace that anything goes, and that is license. But I also know biblical holiness, which is love. And it doesn't come out of have to. It comes out of want to. I love you, God, and I want to serve you because I love you. And so... Over a year ago, as many of you know, well, in 216, our son Chris went to heaven. And that's been a real difficult one. The pain's still there every day. But while we were singing today, I was reminded that when Sharon and I got the bad news and we had to live with that, I went to preach in far north Queensland. And uh, at the end of the meeting, a couple came to me and said, we cried through the whole teaching on how you handled your son's death. We just want you to know we've lost two of our kids. And one of our grandkids. And I go, oh, Lord, there's always someone that's going through a worse trial. And they said we lost our children through a heart-lung condition. I was trying to remember the name during the worship. I turned to my wife. She doesn't know. I turned to uh, the prophet. He didn't know. And uh, no, (laughs) it's that condition where you can't breathe and eventually you die. It's a heart-lung condition and you die quite young with it. And it was hereditary through the family. And we became instant friends because of our common pain. And short time later, they came to stay with Sharon and I. They just wanted to come and encourage us. And we took them to church. And on the Friday night, they kept singing, it's your breath in our lungs. What we were just singing now. But they didn't sing it once. They sang it over and over and over again. And I'm thinking, please move on to another song. Because it was the breath in the lungs of their kids that they died. And I looked across and there they were with their hands raised. Tears running down their face. Singing, it's your breath in our lungs. How do you do that? Is it mind over matter? No, I think they trusted God in their reversal. And now God is releasing them to bless others. And I want to tell you, I was so touched by them singing that song we were singing today. It's your breath in our lungs when they lost their kids because they couldn't breathe. 
And yet today, still traveling with their car, running around helping little churches in far north Queensland. Not an ounce of angry, not an ounce of where were you, God? Because you see, God cannot just be known in the good times. God has to be known in all seasons. And when I got cancer a year ago, in a very short time, and I shared it briefly here when I was here last, I discovered that three things could not leave me. One was the peace of God. Number two was the presence of God. I never got to go to church for nearly a year, but His presence was with me. I'm in a hospital and His presence is with me. But the third one was His purpose. I know I've been called to do a work for God. Now I don't have a pulpit. And yet God gives me a platform in the hospital. He gives me a platform by just total strangers coming into my life. And some of them still to this day who are not yet Christians. And I realise that God's purpose, His presence and His peace are our portion. And that is the favour of God. So about four weeks ago, I was asked to go to Zurich. Now, I'm prophesying this for some of you in the room here today because the will of God doesn't always go the pattern you think it's going to go. And so I got to go to Zurich to preach at a conference that I was asked to do a year ago and I couldn't go because I got cancer. But I felt it was God's will that I should go. Now I have to cancel. That doesn't make sense. And so what happens is I come out of hospital treatment just recently and they said, you're going to come now. We've just postponed it and you're coming now. I just happened to get really, really sick. My wife and my daughter were up at Tea Tree Plaza the day before I was leaving. And they go, do you really need to do this? Because you're not well. I said, I don't understand why, but I have to do this. And I was very unwell. I had a virus or I had a bacterial infection I wasn't aware of. I arrive in Zurich. I was supposed to be there a year ago, but had to cancel. I arrive in Zurich and I get picked up at the airport. And as I get to the hotel and meet with the pastor, he says, you're not going to believe this. He said, two days ago, our worship pastor died. 35 years old. She had cancer. She knew she was going. And we don't know how to handle our pain. And God's brought you here to share with us how to handle our pain. I'll just show you, it was 4,000 leaders and people booked into the conference. I'll show you, show you a picture. Just to, So that was the conference. And he said, all those people don't know how to handle pain because we've never preached on it. Please don't preach on what you thought you were going to preach on and what we asked you to preach. Navigate us through our grief. And then they put a picture up of the young lady, 35 years old. She knew she was going. And this is what she wrote. The bottom part's German. The top part's in English. When my chapter's done and my torch is passed on and all my days are spent, when they look at me, I want them to see that my heart looks like your heart in the end. And I'm standing there speaking through an interpreter, thinking, God, your peace your presence, but your purpose is still with me. I came, and they put me in hospital while I, there was a clinic, a medical clinic to give me infusion so that I could get hydrated and then back on the pulpit to preach. Go off to London and preach at Equippers Church in London for the weekend. God gives me a word for that church. 
on how they did their pastoral care. I had no idea they were having an issue on how to do pastoral care. We called it people care. And we broke down all the areas to care for people. And they've taken that on now as a way they're going to do that. And they ring me from the England to say, how do we do the next step? How do we do it? And I go, I'm sick as a dog. <laughs> and so ring me up. And so I get a phone call from a pastor from Sydney. And he goes, why didn't God heal you? You're out there helping these people. Why didn't God heal you? I said, because not everybody can preach when they feel good. How many people can do it when they're in pain? He goes, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. We're people of faith. I said, well, I had to have faith to do what I did. You know, it depends how you describe faith. And, I, and I'm, I'm going through the book of Galatians in my daily devotions. And this is what I read two days ago. In Galatians 4 verse 12, Paul writes to the Galatians. He goes, you didn't mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was very sick when I first brought you the good news. Sick and good news doesn't seem to match. But when we live from eternity, we realize that his purpose doesn't always make sense if we live under the sun. Solomon did everything under the sun. He did nothing above the sun. And I want to tell you, my friends, today, when we live from eternity, it all makes sense. And in every season, if we can handle the reveal, the reverse, the restore of God, what powerful things can happen. You see, I'm in hospital but I was supposed to be in Christchurch with Pastor Tark here. Pastor Tark was putting on a conference in Christchurch and I, he's on the phone nearly every day. Are you coming? And then I had to ring. I said, I'm going into hospital. I can't come. And so he goes, oh, we're so sorry. He goes, we've become such great friends and I don't want to let him down. And not that he was worried about that. He was more worried about me. But I go into hospital and one day I get a phone call from him while I'm in hospital. He says, you couldn't record a message in hospital, could you? Said, why not? And I said to him, in my pyjamas? And he goes, probably not. He said, you can record it in your hospital room. So I asked the chaplain who used to come to our church for pastor's meetings when he was a pastor. I said, I couldn't use the chapel, could I? And he goes, sure. So I get a cameraman to come down to the hospital here at St. Andrews. We go into the chapel and as I walk in, I recognise the room because years ago I stood in John Wesley's chapel in England. And I remember holding the podium and saying, God, do it again. God, do it again. We don't want to read history. We want to make history. And now I'm standing in a chapel that looks just like John Wesley's chapel. But it's only me and an empty room and the cameraman. I thought, how am I going to preach to an empty room? Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today. So I, I thought, well, we'll give it a go. And if Tark doesn't want to use it, he can throw it out. The minute I open my mouth to speak, the anointing filled the room. The anointing fills the room. And there's only me and the cameraman. I have to fight back my emotions because I'm recording and he's crying his eyes out on the camera. Presence of God in an empty chapel at St. Andrew's Hospital dealing with my problem. And then I send it to Pastor Tark. But you all know there was a shooting in Christchurch. And they had to cancel the conference. You think, Lord. <laughs> wasn't I dressed properly for this occasion? They only filled me from here up. You put a message in my heart for Christchurch. I got words of knowledge for people that would be sitting in the room. I'm in an empty room. 
And he cancels the conference, not he did. The people in Christchurch had to cancel because of the threat and there wasn't enough police to go around to guard things. I mean, you know what happened there. And then it was only a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, Pastor Tart rings me and he goes, we're going to go back to Christchurch and we're going to do the conference and we're going to show you video. Now, I wouldn't have planned it that way if I was God. I wouldn't have planned it like that. It wouldn't have been in that order. It would have been better just to get out of hospital and go and no crisis in Christchurch. But you see, when you know that God can be trusted, no matter what season we are in, then powerful things can happen because the reveal is still there. The release will always be there. Just do the reshaping God. And I've got to trust you when nothing makes sense. There's someone here today in business. I don't know what kind of business you've got. And you're right at a crossroads right now. And nothing makes sense on one end. And on the other, in your spirit, you feel it all makes sense. But in the reason world, it doesn't make sense. In the revelation world, it does. And I want to just to encourage you with wise counsel, always go with revelation. And God will always stand by what he does. Get the right advice, get the right input. And so my friends today, have we got more time? Is that okay? Got a bit longer? I want to now turn it into a sermon. No, not really. Because I don't like sermons. I, I, someone said to me one day, don't preach, just reach. And it's true, you know. It's, uh, sometimes I prepare my sermons well. I can show you my notes. Introduction, main points, all starting with the same letter, good conclusion, and a few good illustrations and a couple of jokes. And then you walk into a meeting and God changes it all and go, what's the use of preparing? That's part of the reversal. God doesn't bless laziness. We've got to be well prepared. And so for a few moments, because what I'm about to tell you is not a sermon, it is a truth that I believe with all my heart. And that is that every Christian is called. If you are saved and have no desire to serve, I question whether you're saved. Because we're not saved by serving but we are saved by grace to serve. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said he died for us and he rose from us so we can serve the living God. Serving should not be a have to. What night do I have to be on? Is it my roster time? No, I delight to do your will. My opening scripture, Psalm 40 verse 8, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. My favourite chapter in the Bible, many of you probably know already, is Romans chapter 12. It's written to the Italians. And so, you know, Romans 12. Present your body to God as a living sacrifice. But before that comes, in view of what he has done for you. I don't serve Jesus because I want to help out the church. I serve Jesus because of the resurrection. If he died and rose from the dead for me, then my life is worth laying down for him. And in view of what he's done, because of that revelation, there will be a separation in my thinking. So there can be an activation in my serving. So there can be a transformation in my heart. So there can be an activation of what the will of God is for my life. To do that, you've got to live called. And every Christian is called. I was thinking this morning when I was awake, the people that God gave me the, the wonderful privilege to lead to Christ when I wasn't a pastor. I think I did more of it then than now. But when I wasn't a pastor and a guy walks in to the menswear store I was working in at people at people's stores at Victoria Square, guy that's travelling around Australia. 
on a push bike, taking two weeks to come down from Brisbane. Comes into the shop with a long beard and long hair. He looked like that guy that just won that Logie for the garden, the Greek guy on TV. Uh, you know, big long beard and hair. And he walks in and he walks in to buy some, he wanted to buy some pants because he was going to a nightclub, a disco. That's what they used to call them in those days. And he wasn't allowed to in there with jeans. And the Holy Spirit said to me, take him home to your place of lunch. I thought, really? I don't even know this guy. I said, you got an American accent. He goes, I'm Canadian. When he's seen as an American, he was Canadian. Travelling around the world looking for whatever. He was hugging trees and all sorts of stuff trying to find himself. I thought, you're standing right here. He's trying to, people finding, I've got to find myself. And he, uh, I'm looking at you right now, you're right here. So we had to shorten his pants. And he went out to get something else and said, God, am I doing the right thing here? I don't even know this guy. Ring Sharon. We were living at Ingle Farm. Our first house, $21,000 for our first house in Ingle Farm. And I said, Sharon, I'm bringing home a total stranger for lunch. I said, would you like to come home for lunch? I said, I'll show you around Adelaide. He goes, you don't know me. I said, yeah, but I was in America with my wife and I and kids and people were so kind to us. Total strangers. I'm Canadian. I said, yes, I know, but... And Sharon goes, oh, my sister Yvonne's over and we've been cooking all morning. There's plenty of food. Bring him home. Okay. I bring him home. Chris was three years old. This is how long it was. And in the afternoon, we're driving down the Anzac Highway. I was taking him to Glenelg. And I said something really stupid. I don't even know why I said it, but that's my life. And I said, have you seen The Exorcist? (laughs) And he goes to me, what did you say? Why did you say that? I said, I oh, know, it's the movie everybody's talking about. And it's freaking people out. And he says to me, since I watched that movie, I, I go to sleep with a light on every night. And I am freaked out. And I said, well, look, you want to go to the disco tonight or you can come to church. I'm a youth worker and I work in the menswear. And he goes, well, as long as you don't shove religion down my throat, he said, I'll try anything once. Great. So he comes to church. Would you believe it? We had an American speaker at youth that night. (laughs) Mark Gorman, if you've heard of Mark Gorman. It was Mark Gorman. And he preaches and the first person to put his hand up is this guy. And he goes down the front, first one, and he keeps his hand up. I get out of my seat and sort of go and stand behind him, sort of say, you put your hand down there, it's okay. (laughs) And he receives Jesus. He'd been riding from Brisbane to Adelaide on a push bike. Taken two, three weeks to get here and he was going to go to Perth on the Monday and he was going to stay at the YMCA. And so I found one of the guys who God had so miraculously changed in our home group. One of the guys, he goes, he can come and stay with me. Comes back to church on Sunday and I'm driving him home and uh, we had an old beat up old Volkswagen driving him home and I said, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? I could feel Sharon sort of knocking the seat behind me like, take it easy, you know. (laughs) Don't give it to him all at once. He gets baptised in the Holy Spirit. Monday morning, he goes into Bible college at Paradise and does a whole year of Bible college that ends up being bridal college and he marries a girl from there. (laughs) He's still living in Adelaide today. They adopted two children. And his family lived in Peace River in Canada. They couldn't believe what happened to their son. 
So they got on a plane and came over to Australia. There's nine kids. They were Catholic. And there was nine kids. They didn't all come, but a lot of them came, the mum and dad and a couple of others. They were so blown away about what happened to their son who was looking for peace. They lived in Peace River and the son had lost his peace. They go back to Canada. Brothers get saved. They go and work with the Salvation Army and start a feeding program on the streets of their town. I wasn't Pastor or Danny. I was just Alfredo Daniele Guglielmucci. That's all I was. That's all I was. In a menswear store. Because we live cold. We are all called. You know, uh, it's an absolute pleasure and privilege serving God and His plan for the planet. And so when we understand we're all called, we get hold of the cause of Christ and then the cause gets hold of us. It's not enough just to get hold of a cause. It's enough for the cause. It's, it's more important that the cause gets hold of us. In 1 Samuel 17, 29, when David's brothers are out in the field facing Goliath with Saul and David is sent by his father to take food and, uh, you know, they must have had some Italian roots because they had homemade cheese and all the stuff they took out to the field and the brothers, because often people judge you by what's inside of them and the brothers go, what are you doing here? They were already mad at him because he was a half-brother and they thought he was dad's favourite and so there was family feud going on. And I love the words of David when his brothers were trying to make it about what it wasn't. And he said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Something changes in our lives when we get hold of a cause. People get passionate about causes. Whether it's climate change, Vegans trying to kill all the meat eaters. Man, I turn on the TV and go, what are they doing, those poor farmers? You don't want to eat meat, that's okay, but don't try to kill all of us. We don't taste good. Our national anthem needs to change to words like young and free. No, we don't want young and free, we want strong and free. Do you know how many people today are giving first class allegiance to second class causes? Freeing people from slavery and poverty, that's a good cause. Saving certain animals from extinction, I think that's a good cause. I'm starting to like dogs now, but it's taken a while. Cancer research, good cause. But when we get hold of the cause of Christ, that is an eternal cause. Something needs to get hold of our lives. And this is what I feel I've enjoyed over 30 years of ups and downs. And even now, in one of the most terrible three years of our lives and yet there's something of the cause of Christ that doesn't get shaken off of us because a cause gives you purpose. A cause makes you passionate. A cause will position you with like-minded people. Pastor Tart walked in here last night and he felt at home straight away because I believe in divine appointments. I believe the cause connects us. And when I go to his church, I just said to him in the worship today, I feel like I've known you for years. I'm even getting him to eat more than curry. I'm getting him to eat good Italian food. <laughs> Tomorrow night at my house, you're going to go home, we'll carry you home. <laughs> but you can repent Sunday morning. The cause will position us with like-minded people. It prioritises our world for us. And even though there is a price and there is pain 
it brings enormous pleasure. And just for a couple of minutes, I'm going to give you a few points on the behaviour of called people. Number one, called... Oh, before I go to number one, okay. Sorry about that. I want to say this. Each Christian should feel called. Each Christian leader should feel called. When a pastor rings me up and he goes, Danny, is there any opportunities out there? I need a church, man. I've been out of a church for a while and I think, what are you talking about? This is not a job. It's a calling. And if you don't have a calling and if there's not a journey of that calling, when troubled times come, you can't stand. When my son passed away, I could go back over 20-something years of God was there. He was there. He was there. He was there. And now that I'm here not understanding everything, I'll trust the God that was there to carry me through this. Because I know too much of who he is. Each Christian should live called. Every Christian leader should live called. And number three, every church corporately should live called. You should never join a church because of what it does for you. We should only join a church by saying, what is God's purpose for this house? And how does the gift on my life help my calling to partner with this calling so there can be DNA a divine natural alignment, DNA. So we're not here to get, but we're here to build the purpose of God over the house together as a team. That's a different story. And so every church should be called and every leader should be called. And that's why when Chris died, I've got to be honest, I thought I could never preach again. For a while I couldn't even open my Bible, afraid of the scriptures I would find. But I'm called. And the call comes looking for you. I don't have the ministry of hints. Hey, i got some spare time. Can I come and serve you? Now God opens the doors. God opens the doors when we're called and every church is called. These are the postures that I've discovered in my own life and in the life of my friends of the called people. Number one, called people are consecrated people. They are consecrated people. They are devoted. You see, when David was asked by his father to look after the sheep on the hill, he took his guitar along because he turned duty into devotion. He turned work into worship because it's not have to, it's love to. Sure, Dad, I'll look after the sheep, but while I'm there, I'll turn it into worship. While I'm there, I'll turn it into devotion. What an attitude. There's no entitlement there. Because people that are called are consecrated to the call. Number two, they committed to the call. Abraham, Genesis 22. First, his dad says, uh, God says to Abraham, take your only son. Well, he had two sons. He only had two, he had two sons. He said, take your only son. You know something? God won't speak to you about what we birth in the flesh. Ishmael was birthed in the flesh. God will only speak to us about what's born in the spirit. And what starts in heaven, it says, take your only son. And because Abraham knew he was called, what does he do? Yes, Lord. And then he goes, now you need to get up really early in the morning. And the miracle is waking up your son early in the morning. Because our kids like to stay in bed till lunchtime. He says, get up tomorrow morning early and get your son. He goes, yes, Lord. Later on when the son says, what are we doing? He says, dad. And Abraham goes, yes, son. Isn't it great to have a posture of yes first? And he says... Now, he's been told by God he's going to have to kill this boy. 
And maybe he'd been so naughty the dad was quite happy to go ahead, but he goes, he goes, you've got to kill this boy. And the son says, what are we doing, dad? He says, we're going to go up and worship. There was no guitar there that day. There was only a knife and a fire. And I want to tell you, friends, that obedience is worship. We had great worship here last night, but let's not forget that's not worship. That is worship. That's part of what we do. But the minute we walk out that door, we still worship. And when we live cold, we worship. Everything we do in obedience. And so what happens is consecrated, called people are consecrated through devotion. They're committed through obedience. And number three, they have a clarity of the call through revelation. I am deeply troubled at the copycat stuff that's going on in the church today where people go off to this conference and copy what they're doing. And we make it all about bums on seats, how big the conference is, how good the music, what's the next album that's coming out. Well, some people are called to do that, but not everybody. God can do as much here today than any 20, 30,000 seater conference if we are obeying Him and we're here in the will of God. And there's a clarity of the call. And I love it that when, when in Matthew 16, you know, uh, Peter has that revelation of who Christ is. It's only after revelation that Christ says, now you can build my church. And so much revelation is available to each congregation that we go into reason and copy other people. And I want to tell you, God's too great for that. He's too creative for that. There's things this church will do that other churches never will be able to do. And we've got to stay strong in who we are, not being somebody else, through having a clarity of the call through revelation. Called people, number four, confess the call. Now, just before I go to that, I felt this this morning quite strong that some of you are trying hard to find God's will and God wants to visit you with fresh revelation. And the thought that came to me was in 2 Kings 4.8 this morning, I hadn't planned to say this, is the wealthy woman with her husband who built a room on the top of the house for the prophet to come and stay. She was sick of visitation. She needed habitation. And too many charismatic Christians want visitation all the time but they don't want habitation of an ongoing revelation. And see, she built this room on the house. I do a series of messages on it. But one of the things I felt to raise this morning out of that is that in that room she built, there were three things. There was a lamp, there was a table, and there was a bed. And the Lord spoke to me a couple of years ago, and he goes, too many people are sitting at the table of preparation, but they haven't turned on the lamp of revelation. Therefore, there's no relaxation because they can't lay on the bed of rest because they're restless. And I want to say to you today, no good idea is matched to a God idea. And if you're a pastor here today, I don't think you can afford not to journal and journal and come to the Word of God with hunger and saying, God, if you don't speak, I'm done. I told my church for years I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot. One decision. Why? Because if I'm not in Revelation... I'll be in reason. And how does Peter in Matthew 16 say, you're the son of God, you're the Christ. And, and, and this is what Jesus says, Pete, you didn't get that from books. You got it from my father in heaven who revealed that to you. A few verses later, he says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, because you are thinking from a human point of view. How can you go from revelation to reason just like that? We all can. 
We all can, but I want to tell you, I can't do my ministry. How do I build what I did at Edge Church? Never ever, not I build, but how did God allow me to do that with no training? It was revelation from the Word of God, the pictures from the Word of God. But then I leave the church. I hand the church over because God told me to do that. And God opens up a world to churches and pastors. My revelation's changed. I no longer get revelation just for my local house. I get revelation for the wider body. God changed everything because He equips you for what He's called you to do. And if He's called you to be a mechanic, He equips you to be His witness in that place. If you're a nurse, if you're working in the food area here, in hospitality, whatever, we are all called. Everybody wants that sudden calling. But if you don't do your everyday, you're not going to get that one day. Moses is in the back end of the desert. He didn't know how long he was going to be there. Then suddenly... And one day, something happens. Charismatics want the suddenly. They want the one day, but they don't want to do the every day. And sometimes it's just faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. And I just want to say to Joe and Lena, we all know our histories. I'm not trying to pretend I've got a prophetic word here. We know our histories. And I think I might have said this to you when I was here last time. Thank you for your faithfulness. Because you see, you've got to journey a lot of things. You're dealing with cultures. You're dealing with all kinds of stuff. And faithfulness gets us there. Faithful. Why? Because we live cold. We live cold. I want the musicians to come. Thank you. That'll just make everybody relax. No, I am stopping. We live cold. And so people that are called will continually confess that call through consistent repetition of non-negotiable conviction. Number five, there's seven of them. Number five. We continue in the call. When you are called, you don't give up. When we had a tragic story with one of our sons, I don't need to tell you about it, you all know. Do you know how easy it was just to walk away? You might not remember this, but you were one of the first people to ring me, Joe. And you said, we just want you to know we're not judging anything. We're praying for you. I remember the day you rang me. That wasn't the case with every Christian leader. I was the fourth member of the Trinity for some people. I was the devil himself for others. And you want to give up. You don't even want to show up. And you just got to consistently continue under pressure. When there's misunderstanding, misquotation, unfairness, and the tests. And we've got tests to pass. And you've got to stay resilient. But you know something? The call helps you stay resilient. Because I can tell you the journey of my call. If you don't have a journey to your call, the virgin birth of Jesus had a journey from the Old Testament all the way through that proved He was the supernatural Son of God. So when people say you're not the Son of God, oh, let me tell you the journey. Let's look at the 366 prophecies or whatever. There's got to be a journey to a call of how God gets hold of our lives. we got too many churchians They are churchgoers, but not Christ followers. And so we need to continue in the call. And this is a good one. Number six, we've got to celebrate the call. We started with the scripture, I delight to do your will. Not I have to do your will. I want to do your will. And then last of all, we get to complete the call. Beautiful words in 2 Timothy 4.7, I fought the good fight. Do you know how many Christian leaders get tired because they fight the wrong fight? They fight the bad fight. They fight the 
church politics fight. They said this, we split and look at what happened. And I thought they were going to be with us for life. That's not the good fight. You know what? I fought the bad fight. It took years off my life. I never want to do it again. I want to fight the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. When you carry the call of God, I'm nearly done. You don't operate from a posture of contract, but from a posture of conviction. Contract is convenient. Call is convictional. Call is a privilege. Contract is a price. What do I have to do? Call is about set apart for service of others. Contract is about set up for my selfish ambition. The call is about entrustment. Contract is about entitlement. I feel privileged that I still get a chance to stand. Even amongst voices in Christianity that go, do we need to cast demons out of your family because of all that you've been through? Is there something demonic going on? Pastor rang me from America. This is not good enough. Large church. You shouldn't be going through this. I can't tell you why I'm telling you this, but I know Jesus in a way I didn't know Him before. And everything that I've preached for 20, 30 years is so much more real now than ever. Things I used to get upset if you scratched my car. Sharon had to take the car home the other day. She was panicking. She goes, I'll look after it. I said, don't worry about it. It's just a car. She must have nearly fallen over. Thinking, you're never used to being like that. Yeah. Uh, a scratch car, a dead son. Wow. Come on. Come on. Living in the right suburb. Yeah. And cancer. Yeah. Yeah. How does it measure up? Yeah. And God gives us all good things to enjoy. Yeah. So you can still get a little bit upset when you scratch a car, but not that much. It still upsets me, but it's way down the list. I delight to do your will, O oh God. Let's bow our heads in prayer right now. There's at least five people in the room right now that the enemy has been speaking to you. And he's been saying, it's time for you to give up. It's time you've done enough and you don't need this in your life. And God is calling you home to the call. It's the only road to freedom. It's the only place of true joy. It's the only place of meaning. And while every head's bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I want to personally pray because I understand your pain. And I want to pray for you right now for an impartation of God's encouragement to you. Will you slip up your hand? I'll see it and I'll pray with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's probably more than five. Father God, today, I just wonder, I, look, a lot of us are leaders in this room and, I'm, and the way you responded last night, I know I can do this. If you did raise your hand, we love you and we want to all stand with you. The priesthood of the believers, we're all called. Would you please stand if you don't mind? We just want to pray with you. If you just stand, if you raised your hand, stand. Don't be embarrassed by that. That's awesome. We love you guys. And once everybody has stood, can we just, as the guys lead us in worship, can we just 
Have people around those that are standing. Put an arm around them. Ladies, go to the ladies. Men, go to the men. Give them a hug and just pray with them. And just pray that Holy Spirit strength will come. Father, we declare like we heard last night, your word of breakthrough over these lives today. Father, we're all called, not just the pastors. And I'll pray today that we all leave this place with the honour of knowing we're called and that we can serve you with the strength that you bring. I wonder if we can look around to those that are standing and just go and stand with them. And if the guys can lead us in worship, I'm done for this session. Other than Lord, I pray, please restore joy. Oh God, bring our joy back. Please refresh. Please reshape us any way you want. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.